Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. We are very excited to welcome Daya Lakshmanarianan, comedian from the Bay. She has a new album out called Daya Tribe, and (laughs) we're so happy to have you. Thank you for being here, Daya. Angela, thank you for saying my name so beautifully. <laughs> I, I love you already. I, I practiced, I'm not going to lie, but it is important. And uh, after mm-hmm. listening to your stand-up, you, you reinstated how important that was. So I wanted to make sure I got it right. I wanted to honor you and your presence is important and your name is important. So welcome. Thank you. I feel like a queen already. Thank you. Also, this podcast is hella ethnic, so we got to all get each other's names right. Yeah. If Mine's the easiest, it. I guess. But you know, her name is Erin Lim and everybody misspells her name, not mine. It's yes, very funny. always, always it's very funny. <laughs> the easiest and it's always misspelled. I don't know. Yeah, it's fine. It's, it's, it's in the Whatever. stars. Uh, but but anyway, I want to start off. I loved your special, by the way. Uh, so yeah. uh, could just relate to every fucking joke. But I, wanted to, <laughs> but I wanted to start out by saying you have two degrees from MIT, which is commendable in and of itself. So can you talk about how someone with two degrees from MIT says, fuck the world, I want to become a comedian? <laughs> I love that that is the leading question because that is the most Asian thing anyone <laughs> can start with. Uh, where do you go to school? How many degrees do you have? You're an engineer, scientist? What, what are you doing now? Oh, comedy? Okay, bye. Um, so, uh, so I'm a nerd and I own it. Like I love math. I love science. I love nerdy things. Uh, I 100% own it because uh, especially like women and non-binary people, uh, involvement in STEM and sciences mm-hmm. is there's a lot to be desired. And I think part of it is because as kids, women, queer people, non-binary people were, are not encouraged to be so nerdy. And a great example, um, you know, like, uh, so uh, Amy, who is on Jeopardy, who's like one oh, of the yeah. four highest from, from Oakland. Yeah, hero. Um, hero. Yeah. So Amy actually talks about how you know, she's one of the first women to get all this money in jeopardy. And she actually said in an interview, it's because the early part of her life, she, I mean, she's, she's a woman. She was socialized as a man in the early part of her life. And she talks about then the interview that the social pressure on her uh, with a different gender presentation when she was younger was different than if she had had, you know, Mm. her pronouns be honored at a young age as she, her. So I think that for for so many of us, uh, we're actually made fun of for liking smart things or nerdy things. And so I like to just reclaim that and be like being funny and being nerdy, liking science and math, being a comedian. You can do it all like you don't have to separate your brain out, your left brain, 
right brain, a side brain. It's like side brain is like side boob, you know, like it's like you see a little <laughs> bit of it coming out and people are like, oh, I see that side brain. You're smart. So mm-hmm. I, I just, yeah, it, it's, it's a natural, it was a natural transition for me. And I don't want to be the first one. I want like all sorts of like little Asian girls and, you know, everyone to be like, I love a good equation, but I also love a good joke. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I, I didn't get the math and science genes, so I, I failed in that, in, in that, uh, whatever, but, um, I also just don't have words now, but I wanted to know your journey from Birmingham, Alabama to the East coast. And then how did you end up here in San Francisco? So, uh, I went to high school in Birmingham, Alabama. Actually, I was there from fifth grade through 12th grade. So I graduated from public high school in Birmingham, Alabama, which just means you need to count to 10 and then they let you graduate. Cool. Uh, I would have done well. (laughs) (laughs) So they they ask you, they, they ask you, who's your favorite football team? Can you Uh, count to 10 and can you write your name? And even if you don't know your name and you just write Bubba, they'll let you graduate. So, uh, so I graduated fr- from uh, high school in Alabama. Um, I'm still in touch with a lot of my Alabama friends. A lot of them have turned out to do like really cool stuff, um, you know, really involved in the democratic movement uh, in the South in the deep word. South, uh, being uh, vocal on issues of equality. So my friends from Alabama are cool. I'm talking about the general culture of Alabama, which is not cool. Um, And so then I went right to MIT. So there were some cultural differences. Like as soon as I got to MIT, people were like, why do you have a Southern accent? I'm like, I don't have a Southern accent. And I guess I did. I just couldn't tell. So I was like this Indian girl with a Southern accent. People were like, come, come, come talk to us. And they just like, listen. And so that was weird. Also, I had never seen as many Asians as I saw at MIT because I didn't grow up with any Asians. And then at MIT, I'm like, why is everyone Asian? Uh, And uh, in Birmingham, I had many, many black friends. And then at MIT, I'm like, where did all my black friends go? Because again, uh, science and engineering, uh, tends to be skewed towards white Asian and we don't have a lot of representation. So culturally it was a big switch. Um, It was also cold. There was a lot of snow. Um, And, uh, and it was, it was just, it was kind of very interesting, but I finally found that I could be around nerds, which I liked, but the thing that I wasn't expecting was that MIT was so male And it was really rough being a woman who is good at math and science, but in a way that prepared me for being a woman in everything else, Hmm. management, consulting, finance, comedy. It's just, this is never ending. We're always fighting this battle. I love that you brought that up because when I was looking at your Wikipedia page, uh, under career, there were just a lot of words that I didn't even know what they meant. <laughs> um, so, uh, but but one thing that I did see was that you performed at the Desi Comedy Fest, which I'd never heard of before. It's the biggest South Asian comedy festival in America. And I'm, I'm curious to see what it was like for you 
to finally be among comedians that looked in and came from your same sort of background and, and, and how different that made your performance compared to being a comedian just in the regular world. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because um, for most comedians that are, you, you know, out there performing on a day-to-day basis, they can be 100% themselves and they can just do jokes about the world as they see it. Uh, I, I think Jerry Seinfeld is hilarious. I love his show. I think he's a great stand-up. But things are a little bit easier for Jerry Seinfeld because you just your view of the world is the mm. mainstream world. So if I go and talk about my lived experience, which, for example, like, you know, uh, it's a the spelling bee is a big deal in our community. Like it's 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 our Super Bowl. So uh, we, we love the spelling bee. And so if I go up and talk about the spelling bee to a more mainstream audience, I have to back into it by giving a little bit more context. But with an all Desi crowd, you can just talk about things without so much setup. You know, it's like you have your own shortcut. So, but the nature of being a woman comedian or a a person of color as a comedian, you always have different acts that you're going to do. So mainstream comedy club, you do the act that's going to appeal to the mainstream. Mm. If you do something else for, uh, you know, a show for Asians or South Asians, you have a little bit more leeway to just kind of use words that they would get. So uh, it's always interesting performing for all South Asians. However, like with anything, there's a catch. I love me some Indian aunties, like in the sari with like, you know, the showing the stomach, stomach. Uh, asking me. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I love the Indian aunties. They their shade is the best shade in the world. Um, <laughs> however, the Indian aunties will straight up judge you if you use like salty language or you like talk about things that they don't think are appropriate. So not all South Asian audiences are the same. Sometimes there's first generation, second generation. Sometimes there's like, like UC Berkeley college Desis and every, they, they want to hear about everything is woke and they want to hear about that. The aunties want to hear about like, you know, what your parents or your relationship with them. So even within our community, there's differences. And that's the great thing about being a standup. You're always adapting. You're always trying to make someone laugh, which is the challenge. I wanted to know what your comedy backstory is. Were you at MIT and you're like, oh, I'm just going to try stand-up just for shits and giggles. I'm, I'm tired of my, you know, my schoolwork. Or how did that happen for you? Well, I like to say that I was the funniest person at MIT, which is not difficult uh, because... <laughs> I believe that. I totally buy that. Just imagine like a whole school of R2D2 and C3PO, and then you show up with a personality, and they're like, beep, beep, boop, boop, oh, girl, personality. And 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 then they run away. Uh, right. So um, so I would I I've always been funny. Uh my mom is really funny. A lot of people think. Asian moms, South Asian moms are not funny. They're like, you know, focused on certain mundane tasks like, you know, mothering and cooking and whatever. My mom is hilarious. She's amazingly funny. She uh, like 
uh, is constantly texting my gay male friends and like talking about recipes and asking them if they have boyfriends and uh, just like they like she has a great relationship with my friends. She makes everyone laugh. Um, so I kind of was inspired by her growing up. My dad is a scientist. So any kind of sciency jokes that I do, any nerdy <laughs> jokes comes from him. So I was always funny in college. I was making my friends laugh. I was writing essays. I was, but I never thought of stand up as an art form until I moved to California. And then I was like, then I went to go see this open mic and I saw this man who was like, you know, an average white guy doing mediocre jokes. And I saw that and I was like, I could do so much better. This, the standards are so low that I can easily exceed them. And I think that guy no longer does comedy. Thank God, because he was so bad, but he was my reverse inspiration. Like, you know, if, <laughs> if you see like Wanda Sykes and you're like, I could never be like her, but I want to try. It was the opposite. I was like, this guy, <laughs> I got on. this. Yeah, that's how it was. That's inspiring. <laughs> I I love that your comedy is a, a blend of both your dad and your mom's influence. That's so cool. Uh, but I want to get into this this comedy special diatribe because I loved it. Um, and obviously the jokes I loved, but there's one moment in particular, and I know Aaron will side ah. side with me on this. There's a heckler, and you just deal with it so beautifully I'm not even going to say I go to comedy shows with Erin and she's the one in the audience that's going to tell the heckler to shut the fuck up she will not deal with them she will shush louder than the loudest shusher you've ever heard <laughs> she's the one she's got the comedians back always and I, I just want to ask you know how long did it take you to learn how to deal with hecklers are you just super comfortable because for me if that happened I'd just be angry for the rest of the set I'd just be like take her out First of all, Aaron, love you. Thank you for yeah. having our backs in mm -hmm. the comedy club. I love that you guys know how to behave yourself and you're good audience members. I want to, I mean, thank you also. Thank you for not sharing what the moment was so people will buy the album. Um, in terms of dealing with hecklers, I've just gotten so used to not having to deal with them because uh, by the time I get on stage, it's usually towards the end of the evening um, that's like a flex to say, you know, I'm good. So I'm usually at the end of the show, but, um, <laughs> but it's the audience is warmed up. They know how to behave. Uh, if they've had an outburst, the staff has come over and said, Hey, you, you got to calm down. Please don't do this. Um, but having said that some of the greatest comics that I worked with still get weird heckles. I was, uh, I worked at uh, new year's Eve at the punchline with Greg Proops, who oh. I love, mm -hmm. love that man. He's a feminist. He is, uh, he's, you know, he's a white person, but he has this great bit about not wanting to be a white person anymore because it's <laughs> boring. He's so funny and such a thoughtful man. He's very progressive. He's very political. And he had some weird Trumpy Republican people yelling stuff out at the show. And I'm like, why do you even come to the show? Google the person, know what they're going to say and why come and have staff come over to you and ask you to be quiet. Why don't you know how to behave? So I, I see all kinds of comics have to handle that. Maybe not when they're in a theater, maybe not when it's like, you know, at the Masonic or something like that. 
I was at the Masonic with Ronnie Chang, who's amazing. Oh, awesome. Um, oh, yes. I uh, also a very big supporter of women, big supporter of AAPI folks. He's great. He handles hecklers a different way, but at a large theater, he's not going to get them as much. So it, I was kind of coasting for a while, not having to deal with these kind of people. I would just kind of judge it silently when it happened or I would move on quickly. But this was my special. Like, why would you come to my special? You know, the, before me, there were comics that came up that said, hey, we're taping something, we're recording, you know, keep your table comp. Like they know the rules. So uh, it's, it's just an example of how uh, people are having a hard time adjusting now to being out again. And uh, maybe they drank too much. Maybe they got too high. Uh, but the sad thing is this heckler was with a boyfriend. And I would encourage you to break up with your girl if she yells stuff out at the comedy show because she's just going to want self-assurance. For the rest of your relationship, it's going to embarrass <laughs> you. Valid. You're not so going to watch. Yeah, you're not going to be able to watch the show. So, women, if you come to see me, be like Aaron. Have my back. <laughs> Don't yell stuff out. So that's that my, that's my advice. We should oh, make shirts. Be like Aaron. For for Cobbs for the. Punch I love line. it. Be like Aaron. Yeah. Be like Aaron. Be a good like audience this. member. I like this. Yeah, we're at your workplace. Shut the fuck up. Sorry, I just I have no patience. Um, I actually have a two part question. Uh, the first part is uh, you recorded this album during which part of the pandemic? Second question is minus the pandemic. How has how has and how is the comedy scene changing for POCs? Ooh, these are good questions. Aaron. Uh, I like it. Um, so it, the album was recorded in October and it was just released February 25th was the whole release. Uh, the reason is there's so much that goes into an album. Like you get the raw recording, you have to pick, uh, you have to pick the edit points. You have to work with the label. You have to name the tracks, the cover art. Uh, I have vinyl. So we have to get the Ooh. art right, right ready for the vinyl. There's thank yous that you have to put in there. There's so much that goes into album production that people don't even know about. Even if it's not a physical copy like the vinyl, even if it's all download streaming, uh, October was that sweet spot mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, we had that Delta surge, you know, in the summer after everyone was like shot girl summer. And then suddenly they're like, oh, uh, yes, I need a boosty. So, um, so, so, you know, things started going down. And this was before we'd really heard of Omicron. So October yep. was that sweet spot. Uh, there's some video footage that I don't know if you've seen that accompanies the album recording. And when they pan to the audience, you can see that some people are still wearing masks. Mm. So it was that stage where people weren't fully comfortable going out of the masks. So it was hard to do it in that time because audio is harder to pick up when people are masked. It's harder to see people laughing. You got to just like look at their eyes and like, you know, uh, it's the window to the soul, but also like, are you laughing? Like, let me see what's going on. So it, it's, it was still a difficult time. Um, but I workshopped that album by doing sets in LA, Oakland, Seattle, Portland. Uh, and I worked with, to answer the kind of the second part of the question, tons of POCs came through. Um, there's a show in the Pacific Northwest, Jason Lamb, shout out to him. Black man who has 
minorities, people of color. His show is called um, Minority Retort, I think. Mm -hmm. He has like people of color headlining. Um, There are lots of shows in L.A., uh, uh, a Pakistani uh, woman put me up uh, for a bunch of shows with all South Asian women. Uh, And so POCs help each other, I think, uh, because we know how difficult it is. So I I think the camaraderie was really helpful. I also recorded my album with someone else. So we did two nights at the Punchline in October and we traded off headlining. And my friend and the person who um, recorded with me, she has her own album, Corinda Dobbins. She's a black woman. She's queer. She's she's super funny. She's originally from Detroit, lived in Oakland. Now she's in L.A. Doing it with a fellow woman of color was so powerful. It was just great to see both of us doing it over two nights. And so after that heckle thing happened, (laughs) I went to the green room and I and I I was like, Corinda, watch out for that table over there, blah, 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 blah. She had a fine set, but I didn't want her to go through that. You know, so we supported each other. Mm-hmm. So coming out of this pandemic, I've um, I've really I felt the camaraderie. I felt the support. And, you know, maybe it's because we just it was just hard for so many of us. Like Asian hate was happening. The murder of George Floyd was happening. POCs were affected in so many different ways that we don't want hate in comedy. Let's just help each other. So I feel really positive about it. Um, but it's 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 to be seen if we like break more of those glass ceilings, bamboo ceilings. Um, you know, uh, I don't even know what it is for Indians. Uh, rickshaw ceilings. I, I'm not sure. So we want to just keep doing that because we don't want just one Mindy Kaling. She's right. amazing. We want 10. We want 15 of her. So mm-hmm. I want there to be more. Well, Daya, this has been amazing. Uh, you said filming your special with a woman of color was really special for you. Interviewing someone like you is really special for us. Uh, and we're so happy that you're on the comedy scene and so happy to elevate your album, which is called Diatribe. Everybody check it out. Let uh, Can you let our audience know where they can find you and where they can listen to the album? Absolutely. So uh, my name is spelled D-H-A-Y-A. So it's Diatribe. So you can find it at diatribe.com. You can go to the label Blonde Medicine. You can find the album there. You can go to my website, which is Dialive, which is also my Twitter, which is also my Venmo in case you want to just send me some cash. Blame, uh, blame. Because you're, you're streaming it for free. <laughs> so you could do that too. Uh, but yeah, check me out and on all the platforms. Uh, thank you to so much for supporting. If you ever want to come to one of my shows, you two hit me up because you'll be a great audience and I'll put you on my guest list. Word. We are so honored. Again, we've been talking to Daya Lakshmanarayanan, the comedian to look out for. And uh, we can't wait to see you live. Thank you so much for being on Bitch Talk. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions. <laughs>